0: Nigeria is set to hold elections this month, so what's at stake? And will Africa's largest democracy and economy elect more women into senior political roles? I'm Tom McRae and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyse and help define major global stories. For more on this, I'm joined by our guests now. In Abuja, Nigeria is Dayat Hassan, Director of the Centre for Democracy and Development, a policy advocacy and research organisation focusing on development in West Africa. In London is Annie Olaloku Tariba, political analyst and specialist on politicised ethnicities in West Africa. And in Washington DC is Amaka Anku, head of Africa practice at Eurasia Eurasia Group. A warm welcome uh, to you all. Thank you very much for being on Inside Story. First of all, I just want to acknowledge what a remarkable panel we have today. You know, We're speaking with three Nigerian women about women in Nigerian politics. Annie, if I can spe- uh, start with you first. How significant is that? Would we have even been having this conversation a few years ago, do you think?
1: Um... Certainly not. I mean, I think the struggle to get uh, access for women into Nigerian politics has been an ongoing one. Last year, we saw occupations of the National Assembly by women after the National Assembly rejected a bill for a minimum of thirty-five percent of women. Um, but I definitely think that this year we're seeing some palpable developments. Um, not least the election, uh, the election campaign of Aisha Um so certainly a conversation like this on a stage like this is of is significance.
0: Oh, well, thank you uh, for all being uh, on Inside Story. Adayat can we just speak about what it would mean to finally have a, uh, a woman in a powerful position in Nigeria? How significant and symbolic would it be to have a woman elected for the first time?
2: I think it will be quite an exciting time, it will be inspiring uh, for especially the young women, the children, the girl child in a country with a very huge number of girl child and even women, but who are very marginalized both politically, economically, and socially. Like this will be like a new beginning and the beginning of uh, this uh, feeling of euphoria and expectation that the sky is just the beginning is what people will eventually feel. Mm. if she comes to become the governor.
0: Amaka, what chance do you give of a woman being elected in, in this election?
2: Look, it's,
3: it's really hard to tell. I think it's a close race. Um, Aisha, Binani B- has a lot of support from powerful families in the state. Um, and as you know, she's not the first lady to try on a major party candid- um, ticket. So it is a close race. I think her chances somewhat depend perhaps on whether the presidential candidate of her party wins because incumbency in Nigeria is a powerful thing, right? So the, the incumbent governor will have the advantages of incumbency, but it's a close race and she is, she's gaining a lot of momentum. So I would say maybe it's about 50-50 right now.
0: Andy, I see you nodding nodding along there. What chance do you give of Banani winning and what do you think that she needs to do specifically to, to get over the line?
1: Absolutely. So, it's a it's a difficult question to answer, so that's why I was nodding, um, <laughs> in that we've got a 3 horse race for the presidential um, election at the moment and so everything is kind of up in the air. But certainly, um, she was, Amaka was right to point out that having support, so Nigeria's historically been a two party state we've got the apc and the pdp um all progressive con- uh, congress uh, backing aisha tu and having that kind of party machine behind you really can um, make the difference in an
0: election like this Well, we're keeping a very close eye on on her race specifically i'm sure a nigeria ranks extremely low in gender equality index ratings you know women are massively underrepresented when it comes to politics in nigeria Can you explain why that is and and why it has been such a problem for, you know, so long?
2: I think a lot of challenges are actually responsible for this. When you look at the current electoral cycle, there are 28 governorship seats up for grab, and you have more than 400 uh, candidates vying for this. And out of this, you just have 25 women, with one being on the main one of the dominant parties are uh, tickets. It tells you the 24 others are just vying because of the lack of structure. A lot of things are quite responsible for this. I think one and very important is the role money plays in politics in Nigeria. And the fact that women already are marginalized economically, they do not necessarily have the watches to buy the elections. Religion is also a very important one. And this religion is one of the factors that might actually impact Uh, Binani's emergence as the governor. It is believed that religious, a woman cannot lead a prayer. So how do you expect if Binani, for instance, emerges? How do the traditional authorities stand up? Do they have to stand up when they meet uh, with her? Uh, What will that be? It's easy to do that for a man? How will it be actually for a woman? So the role of religion and culture are quite important. But most important is the fact that they never get the opportunity to vie on the platform of the dominant parties, so that takes them out automatically. Because vying on the dominant party's ticket means that they have the structure available to them. They have the money. They have all kind of financial resources, human resources that gives them the opportunity to traverse all parts of the state or country uh, to win the votes.
0: Amaka, how, how do we change that then? How, how does that change? Um, you know, maybe not in this election, but in in elections down the track.
3: Big question, big question. But let me just come in one second on something um, Hassan was saying, which is, it's actually, it's quite fascinating that in Nigeria, the Northeast, which is a a part of the country that people typically associate with women being sort of more underrepresented or sort of more subjugated, quote unquote, because of religion, actually it's one of the most dynamic places so far in terms of women in politics, right? Like they have the, the second highest Representation in Parliament, um, second to Southwest, more than other parts of the South, and the two women who have vied on major political party uh, tickets have come from the Northeast. Right. So I just think it's it's interesting, it's fascinating to think about the role of of religion, but also to see you know how that act, how that's played out in in, in Nigeria. Um, what will change it? Look, I think things like this take us in the right direction. I think people like Benani coming out, whether she wins or not, right? By the time, you know, this is the second time that we've had a major run for governorship by a woman on a major party ticket. Um, if she wins, it will break the, gra- the glass ceiling and it will start to change the narrative.
0: Mm. Annie, do you think that there needs to be a quota to get more women into politics? Do you think that that is a, would be a positive for Nigeria? So a lot
1: of Western countries have kind of formally or informally taking that approach. I'm not so sure when you're trying to build a uh, build a sense of um, faith in women's leadership that in a country like Nigeria, it will necessarily be effective without at least some caveats. But ultimately, I do think also part of part of the move towards equality and parity and representation is women also having the opportunity to fail. You know Nigeria's had many failed governors, yeah. <laughs> and that is never taken as a test of their leadership, right? So uh, a test of their gender's uh, capacity to lead. And so I think we do ultimately need more numbers in, and we need parties to make commitments to supporting the talent from women within the party, whether that's at the Senate level or in the legislature or whether that's at the governorship level and executive power, And then then you can start to build a funnel for for women into the top positions. So I think less so about having quotas in the here and now, but more so about actually building the infrastructure for supporting and cultivating women's talent.
0: Mm. Adair, you were just speaking earlier about uh, some of the religious and cultural barriers um, that women in politics uh, come up against what do you think are some of the remedies to those how how do they how do women in nigeria overcome those do you think
2: i think it's really going to be more about messaging and it's really about putting out the right narrative in the public domain to show that in nigeria historically women have participated in the political process either from the ancient or your empire even the lagos are the same in the Zaria, um, Kadena states, which is one of the bedrock of politics. Sokoto, like all the core Muslim. States, in fact, in northern Nigeria, have had very strong women who were there pre colonial era and even during this colonial era. And there is nothing in the Quran which actually completely forbids women from actually participating in in politics. We've seen the role of the wife of the Prophet himself, uh, Haisha, and how she played a very huge role in his life and even in the jihad, in the Islamic jihad. So what is currently happening is putting those kind of narrative, and that is what has been done with the Benani campaign, so that we can change the art and mind of the people.
0: Mm. Amaka, seeing women in power in a, in a powerful political position, what do you think that, that would do for the next generation of young girls and, and young women in Nigeria? I mean, what Oh, being able to have a someone to look up to, what would that do uh for, for the for the younger women in Nigeria?
3: I think it sends a clear message that the sky is the limit for everyone, whether you're a male or female, right? I think it creates inspiration. Um, I think it would create more opportunity. It changes perceptions of societies in terms of how women are treated in workplaces. I do think it has an intangible impact. And that's why I have a slightly different view on quotas, right? Whether you want to call it quotas or encouragement. I think that if you look around Africa, the countries that have some sort of guidance mm. you know i know a lot of people don't like the word quotas i don't like the word quarter too but the countries that have shown an intentionality around increasing women's participation whether it's through laws or regulations or guidelines are doing way better than Nigeria. South Africa has some. They're almost half of the parliament is women, right? Um, they have, you know, internal rules within the party and as well as national uh, laws. In Kenya, there are laws. They're not meeting those laws, but they're way better than Nigeria in terms of representation. Twenty over twenty percent of the parliament is female, and well, several more governors. Rwanda has those kinds of rules. Uh, Senegal has mm. those kinds of rules. All of them are doing way better, right? So I, I do think you kind of have to push initially to get those numbers and then let the intangible effect take you across the line.
0: Okay, just moving on from uh, female candidates to, to female voters, are any of the main political parties or presidential candidates actually trying to engage with with female voters? Are they pitching um, policy specifically towards women? Annie, I'll throw that over to you.
1: No um So, had kind a of look at the manifestos. Um, there is certainly uh, quite a bit in a couple of the manifestos about m- maternal health, which is a really big I- issue for Nigeria and pre- preventing maternal death. Um, unfortunately, it doesn't seem that any candidates made any significant commitment um, to improving women's ex- access to kind of positions of seniority within society, whether that's in the private or the public sphere. Um, But ultimately I think that in an election like this, where there are already so many different dynamics, you have a situation whereby marginally, there are more men registered to vote than there are women in Nigeria. Um, And you also have a situation where people have competing interests, right? Mm. Um, It's understandable uh, that that hasn't been the front and center of this campaign, however, I think the role of civil society organizations, women ourselves as well, is to push candidates actually to start speaking in specific and detailed terms about what they want to do for women. You know, we've had in the last five years, a number of women appointed to C-suite positions, to, to leadership in private companies. And if that's not translating into the public sector and that's not translating into politics, then we really, as a country, have not much to show for it.
0: much has been made uh, about this election specifically, that there's a huge amount on the line. Can you explain what is at stake for Nigeria here?
2: I think a lot is at stake, really, because you cannot be for us without us. One, when it comes to the issue of women, you are talking in terms of like 48% of the registered voters actually being women, and the women representation is quite dismal in these elections with projections that it might, at the end of the elections, we might have just a total of three or 4% maximum representation. So a lot is really at stake. Getting some of those seats and getting the representation is very important. And it's also important because at this point in the life of the country, the question of inclusion keeps coming and popping up at every point in time. So we are talking not just inclusion of gender, we are talking about the inclusion of young people. Ethnicity and religion are asking to be represented. The best way you can do it is when you can fine tune all this, and you have an answer that with every every segment of society included in the whole uh, electoral system.
0: Right, uh, uh, market, I mean, do you think unemployment and the cost of living, inflation, the shortage of banknotes, even, I mean, is that leading to a greater engagement because it's actually impacting people's everyday life? Their, you know, their their wallets. Uh, do you think that that is what has gotten more people engaged in this election?
3: I don't think it's. I don't think it's the banknotes. Um, well, it's it, it's hard to tell how sort of the most proximate, mm. the most recent issues will impact the election because it could well make some people not be able to afford to travel to election. Right. Um, so it's 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 hard to tell. I think I think the bigger driver is just. Decades of underinvestment in Nigerians, in public health care, in infrastructure, in roads, and people are disillusioned mm. with the establishment, right? People are disillusioned with what both political parties represent, right? So I think there's a, there's just a, there's a high level of it's been a while since we've been doing this democracy, right? It's been mm. a while, over 20 years, and it's time for the democracy to deliver some, some dividends, right, beyond elections, Right? So I think there's there's a high level of frustration. I think it's great. We'll see. I hope that the turnout is higher than we've seen in, in previous years because that I think that will send a, a strong signal to the political elite.
0: Mm. Do you think, Annie, that there will be pushback on the political elite? Is there a candidate that stands out that can step up against the establishment?
1: So... We're seeing a three-horse race. We've seen a really strong movement um, emerge around a third candidate, Peter Obi, in this election. Mm. Um, Now, Obi came out of the PDP, (laughs) so that's important to kind of note. But I think that more important than the actual candidates in this election is the political engagement that we're seeing, right? And this can't be seen in isolation. We're going right the way back to Occupy Nigeria, right the way through to, I think the last time I was on here, we were talking about MSARS, right? Right. and so you've got a young population, I like you, has an incredibly young population who are engaging with politics and making demands of politicians that they hadn't previously done. So I think regardless of what the outcome of the election is, given that party machines are very powerful, it's not it's not clear what the outcome is going to be. There is a really strong sentiment that nothing is going to go back to normal after this election. And if that energy is mobilized into organisations, youth organisations, mobilised into holding whoever wins the election to account, then what we're probably going to see is if the next person fails to do the job in four years' time, they're going to get voted out.
0: Right, yeah. Only get one one shot at it. Uh, A day. in previous elections, there have been claims that, you know, there's been polls that have been rigged of vote buying. Do you think this time the vote will be free and fair and there's not going to be as much or any corruption...?
2: I think this time around Nigerians are kind of very energized and they have trust in the electoral system compared to the previous elections electoral cycle and lots of reasons are responsible for it. For instance, the introduction of technology, such as the Bimoda voter accreditation system, BVAS, the INEC Result Viewing Platform, has kind of imbued some confidence in the electoral system, and it's even making people want to turn out to exercise their franchise on that day. But precluding vote buying in these whole elections will be like a very huge dream because, because of this new technology, what it also means that the role money will play as will actually take a larger than life role because they do not really know how to interfere with it. The best way you can influence the outcome is actually to buy the vote. But the scarcity of naira might make it a bit difficult to um, a, a bit difficult to buy it. But Nigerian mm. politicians are very adaptive and resp- adaptive and responsive.
0: Well, I know uh, we at Al Jazeera we will be keeping a very close eye on uh, on how the election does play out. Um, just to broaden it out even further, uh, Mark, uh, you know this election does have wider um, ramifications, doesn't it? You know Nigeria, being one of the largest democracies in the world, it has consequences for elsewhere in, in West Africa. So, how important is it in terms of setting an example of how a strong democratic country looks like and, and what can be done?
3: That's a lot of responsibility, but I, I do I do think it is important. Um, Kenya, which is a much smaller economy, uh, also had a very close election last year, mm. last August. Uh, the the opposition candidate, who was actually the incumbent deputy president, right? It was it was quite a fascinating race. Won, um, but it was very close, and so I and and but it was seen as an example of what democracy should be, right? It was close. The the losing candidate con- conceded, left. It was largely peaceful. It was mostly run on issues, right? So I do think Nigeria, the most populous country in Africa, the largest Black nation in the world. And if if we can get this election be, to be seen as credible, I think we're... we're Nigerians have the highest level of trust in the electoral process today, in my view, than mm. they've had since 1999, in part because of the changes that was just explaining. And so if, but I think what's important is what happens after the election. Now, in a very close comparative three-horse race, that's, the, the electorate is divided, right? There's gonna be a big chunk of people who feel cheated in one way or the other because they didn't win. And it's very important what the media does, very important what civil society does. It's become a, a very, it's become a favorite tactic of politicians to impugn the credibility of electoral processes as a political tactic to keep their base energized. Hmm. It's very important that Nigerian civil society and media does not let that happen in this election. As long as, if there is a, you know, if Nigerian elections will not be perfect, there will be some some incidences of violence. There will be some incidences of whether it's intentional or unintentional errors on the on the reform the reform sheets. But if as long as there is a general sense of you know people are being able to vote freely in the in the way they want, it's very important for the rhetoric for leaders, not just the politicians, but the media and the civil society, yeah. to lift up and reinforce the credibility of the process.
0: Annie, just very quickly, because we've only got a minute or so left, but how hopeful are you that these elections will be run in a a fair and and, uh, non-violent way, especially in the aftermath, like um, Amaka was saying, with, you know, three really close candidates?
1: Yeah, certainly. Um, I think I'm very... um trusting of the new changes so in addition to the BVAS we've also got a new electoral act which is much stronger on malpractice and we've already seen that in action where you've had uh, an election nullified um in Osun state um but I think it really does hang in the balance right um when you have uh people who are fully committed to a different Nigeria who believe genuinely that whichever candidate that they're supporting is the best choice for Nigerians and who maybe are fed information which undermines the credibility of the election. You have all of the seeds that you need for incitement of violence, right? And so there is a really heavy responsibility on everybody who is speaking about the elections, who's participating in the elections, not to to stoke it up. I do think, however, that Nigerians, after a really long period of underinvestment, are tired mm. um i think we are tired of fighting right and i think that whatever happens or whatever is the outcome of the election if everybody plays the role that they're supposed to that people will be regardless of which candidate wins ready to get in uh ready to get the ball rolling and ready to move forward
0: mm. thank you so much like you say uh there is a huge responsibility and and a lot at stake writing uh on this ele- election thank you so much um to our three guests Hidayat Hassan, Ani Olaloku Tariba, and Amaka Anku. This episode was produced by Ophelia Johnson, Katia Lopez Horayan, Fongi Nguyen, and Paul Taylor. Studio sound was by Hasib Hashmi. The programme was edited by Manish Mathai, Lynn Nguyen, and Joda DeFries. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch each and every episode. Thank you for listening and tune in on Wednesday for our next programme. Thank you.